Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Inside Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan. Dan, one of the things that you mentioned that you observed very recently was a big difference in perspective between people in terms of people who are really thriving and growing and taking advantage of new opportunities and those who are really stuck. So in my head, I've nicknamed this the Great Divide. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So can you please describe what you mean by that? What's the issue that you're seeing with people? Well, there's two things going on, I think, in let's call it the economy, because that's where it gets measured first. And I think that there's a split now between individuals in terms of what they're doing for work and what they're taking advantage for as far as our opportunity and kind of how they're organizing their lifestyle that has suddenly diverged, I think, with the beginning of the great lockdowns that they're attributed to the virus. But I have a feeling that the virus was kind of a trigger for a set of events, but I think that a lot more is happening than the virus to lock things down. And what I think is that the world has come to an end of a way of thinking about the world and a way of organizing the world that probably came out of the Second World War, okay? And if you remember, there were a lot of losers in the Second World War and not many winners, and even some countries that ended up on the so-called winning side. And I would say Great Britain would be foremost there, and France was considered, and Russia, the Soviet Union was considered the winners. The U.S. was the only country that wasn't beaten up at all. There was no damage to the homeland. Hawaii was an island state way out in the Pacific, so the damage to Hawaii wasn't considered damage to the mainland United States. So the United States ended the war as clear-cut the greatest economy in the world, the greatest military power in the world, And they were the most influential country after the Second World War. And the only other country that had influence, but they didn't have the power, was the Soviet Union. And you got into this two-part world. There was the Soviet sphere of influence and there was the American sphere of influence. But if you brought an accountant in and he added up the productivity and the creativity of the Soviet and against everything that was allied with America, they're not even comparable. The difference was so great. The one thing that they had the same was nuclear weapons, and that kept things in control. Actually, the world has been safer from major outbreaks of conflict since 1945, precisely because we have nuclear arms. Nuclear arms keeps conflicts very small and keeps them sort of short. So it's a weird thing, but actually why war hasn't gotten worse in the 75 years since the end of the Second World War is because of the nuclear atom bomb. So anyway, basically you had the United States at full force, and the U.S. went into major, major economic expansion right after the Second World War. And there were two other countries that did too, Canada, which basically had the same conditions. And the Canadians made an enormous 
contribution during the Second World War. A lot of people don't know this, but at the end of the Second World War, Canada had the fourth largest Navy in the world and it had the third largest Air Force in the world. You know, that was a country of basically 11 or 12 million people. And they were definitely just making an enormous contribution. And Australia, Australia also, they were very near warfare, but they weren't affected. So those three countries had, you know, just enormous boom years for the next 25, 30 years. And by the way, the baby boom generation only happened in three countries in the world. So the baby boom generation, which technically starts on January 1st, 1946, and goes to the end of, I think, 1964, you know, big, huge, biggest generation in the history of the United States. Canada also had that, and Australia also had. So those three countries are the only three countries that had baby booms, okay? But the United States is the only country whose baby boomers had a baby boom. So Canada did not have a baby boom. Their baby boomers <laughs> didn't boom. And the Australians didn't have a big boom. The United States, the millennials are the, the boom from the baby boomers. That's where the, the millennials come from. Okay. So I just want to explain this, that this was a period of world history that more or less stayed the same. I think probably really for at least 50 or 60 years, and then it started to fray at the edges. And the one new thing that you can attribute to that is the emergence of microchip-enabled technology that happened in the United States, started in the 50s, largely submerged in the 60s, started to appear in the 1970s, and then really came out when the personal computer was created, 1980-ish, 79-80, and then you get the software as the main thing in the late 80s, then you get the internet in the early 90s, and then you get the iPhone in 2007-2008 is the iPhone. We're aware of those technologies. And my sense is that the rest of that world was still trying to be the same as it had been for the last 50 or 60 years. But things are moving too fast now. Things are moving too fast. The speed with which communication can take place, the speed with which teamwork can happen, the speed with which innovation can happen is way too fast for the largely industrial bureaucratic economies of most of the world and also the bureaucracy of government. And my sense when the lockdowns came in as a result, supposedly because of the virus, I said, I think this is just an excuse or just using the virus as an excuse. I don't think this requires locking down things. My sense is that all the bureaucratic structures of the world instinctively Agreed. We got to lock things down because things are just moving too fast. Things are moving past us. We're not in control. And we can't let them know. We can't let them know. So people have saying, I think the government knows something. They're telling us, and I think that's true, that what the government and large corporate bureaucracies are not letting us know is that they don't know what's going on. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people would agree with you. They just don't know. And I think they're afraid. And it's like they're not locking down because they're doing a lot of things. They're just locking down and said, what are we going to do with all this change that's coming about because of the new technology? So it was a way of establishing control. And it's over this point that you have the great divide. Okay. Okay. First of all, I'll just say three things about the great divide that it's created by entrepreneurial activity and by entrepreneurial networks. I think that there's a group of people who have taken advantage of technology over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and they have developed entirely different organizational structures, organizational process to maximize the productive and creative capability of technology, the microchip-enabled technology. And when the lockdown occurred, for us, it was in March of 2020, I was amazed, frankly, how quickly we adjusted what had been an entirely in-person business where people had to travel to take advantage of a strategic coach. Within three months, we'd created not only a temporary substitute model, within six months, we had created an entirely new model that wasn't regional, it wasn't national, it was a global model. We suddenly, in a six-month period, went from being a four-city business, Los Angeles, Chicago, Toronto, and London, England, which was an in-person business. We had gone to be a completely global business. And during that same period, I mean, we used Zoom for delivering our services, but we use Zoom to operate the company. I mean, we all have our preferences about how we like to work and everything else, but even those who wish they could be back together working, we're working at a very high level of creativity and productivity, and I was amazed. And then I just saw one figure during that time. And then I'll let you ask all sorts of questions because I've given you a big chunk of meat here and we have to make this into a decent-sized hamburger here. What I noticed is that Zoom, and I'll use Zoom because I really haven't paid attention to any of the other virtual programs because the Zoom went from 10 million, just think about this, 10 million users a day to 500 million users a day. That's 50 times, and they did that in six months. And I'm a news junkie. I read articles. I said, where are the articles on Zoom? I see all the articles on, you know, windmills and solar panels and electric vehicles and all these things. These guys just went 50 times in six months. They have a half a billion people who are using this. And I don't think they're using it for fun. They're using it for work. They're using it for business. They're using it for innovation. They're using it for growth and everything like that. And I just had this feeling this whole one sector of society, global society is happening in all countries, had just taken advantage of something and run with it. And they had departed, I think, not only in a work style that they were already working differently, but they just zoomed, they they just zoomed away doing work in a totally new way. But it also, it was reflected in their lifestyle. 
they were thinking in the future, you know, we can live anywhere we want and we can run our business. We used to think that where we worked and where we lived had to be exactly in the same place, but it's turning out that that's not true. So my sense is that strategic coach is right in the big divide that's zoomed away and that there's an old economy where things aren't working, things aren't working. You know, the, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of breakdown of cooperation. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of political fights. There's legal fights. There's violence and everything. And I think that that is a function of this great divide. So that's my thesis and that's my story. And for now, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different avenues we could go down, Dan. But just to clarify, it really seems to me that one of the great divide is the mindset, right? One between control and that government should have the answers and that people are looking for that kind of direction. Or corporations have the answers. 100%. Or big international meetings of people who fly in with private jets and get together and philosophize on the world. They should have the answers. Yeah. And the opposite mindset is much more, you, you talked about entrepreneurial activity and entrepreneurial networks, which in our experience is much more collaborative. And you pointed this out, a more helpful message would have been, here's what we do know and here's what we don't know. And that, you know, instead of just thinking that we're supposed to have the answers, it's more like, oh, we don't have the answers clearly. That's okay. Let's figure them out. So there's definitely a whole other, much more collaborative way of operating that looks like, I'm going to forecast, going to beat the pants off the other way of, of operating. But you're also seeing some entrepreneurs who are, you know, it's dividing even some people who are kind of to feel trapped in the older way of operating. And yet, primarily the ones who've zoomed ahead with us are actually embracing this much more mobile, dynamic, well, they can live anywhere kind of perspective. So what do you see of this with, you know, for entrepreneurs, why is understanding this great divide so critical? Well, first of all, I think it's happened throughout history when there was a new way of making money. Mm. Okay, and I'll say that, that I think that the central force is that there's a new way of making money that's faster, easier, cheaper, and produces a bigger result. And that this new way of money is not generally apparent to the general population. So I would say that the 500, I'll just use that number, the 500 million who are using Zoom, I would say they're probably the least regulated business activity on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not clear to the people who do the regulating that anything has really changed. They're not actually aware of the activity. I think that it's almost like, as we call it, the free zone. There's a general free zone that's been created. And the bureaucratic regulators have so much stuff to do just trying to keep their organizations together that they've lost the ability to observe a major, what I think is almost like tectonic shift that's happened in the economy. And Dan, that's a really interesting statement. They've lost the ability to do that. For some people, it's like, oh my God, it's unregulated. Therefore, it must be dangerous, is the following thought. What's your take on that? Is these 500, which is a lot of people, half a billion people, you know, are they doing something that's dangerous or are they creating something new about it? No, they're just doing business, you know, where 
a meeting would take two or three weeks to set up. It's two hours from now, and it takes three clicks. You have to turn on Zoom, and then you have to appear. Your first picture has to appear, and then you're led into the meeting, and then you're there. Three clicks. takes three clicks. And they've just eliminated virtually the entire travel part of people's lives. It's just disappeared. When I first experienced Zoom, I said, this is not a communication medium. We've had this before. You know, we've had this before. We've had phones for 100 years. This type of virtual thing, we've had it for, I guess, 15, 20 years where you could get something virtual. But this is transportation. We're transporting ourselves, 50 people, or let's say 15 people, from different parts of the world, transport themselves. They're in the same room, Zoom room. They're much more alert and curious and engaged on a single screen of a computer than they were ever in a room where some people were sitting down there, some people are sitting there. You could see three or four of the people, but here, here I can see everybody. Mm -hmm. So my sense is that there has been a profound drop in the cost of transportation to get business done. You've mm -hmm. almost eliminated the cost of transportation to engage in business innovation and business productivity. But it's not apparent. We have four major newspapers in Toronto, and I bet you can't find a person on staff of any of those newspapers, journalists, commentators, opinion writers, who would even know what you were talking about, because that's not the way they're living their lives. Mm -hmm. Very and true. What they're reporting on, people are not living that way at all. Yeah, so there's a big disconnect between the media and what people's actual experience is. Now, the other thing, Dan, the cost of doing business has dropped because of the decreased cost of transportation. That seems to me that the increased productivity will actually greatly benefit the countries. The GDP will <laughs> increase productivity. Well, it certainly benefits the people who are saving the money on the transportation. Mm -hmm. The people who are using Zoom aren't doing that to assist the country. Mm -mm. You know, I mean, nobody does what they do every day to assist the country. I mean, they may say they are, but actually they've got a career, they've got a job, they've got an organization, they've got objectives, they've got benefits, they've got pay, they've got things to think about. That's what we're all doing about it. But the ones who are talking about threat to the world and everything are the people who are living in the old system. It's not a threat to the world. It's a threat to their world. That is a great distinction. No, uh, the world is not threatened at all. world's growing, evolving, as it always has. The world's gone through disasters that destroyed all the dinosaurs. It didn't destroy the world. The world's still here. It destroyed all the tenants, but it didn't destroy the world. There's nothing wrong with the world. The world isn't in shape. But their world is probably threatened, that they're losing the innovation race. They're not inventing new things. They're losing the productivity they're not more profitable, but they don't know where it's coming from. They say, well, it's because of the virus. It's because, of no, no, it isn't. There's this great divide that suddenly has happened. No one was planning on the divide, but just one day, governors and presidents and leaders of countries said, okay, we're closing down all the airlines. That's the first thing they went after is the airlines. No more travel across national borders, okay? 
even some of, here in Canada, some of the provinces were watching people. Some of the states, cities were closing down. Everything we're going to close things down, but we didn't close down. We just we had to readjust our models, but we didn't close down. Even during when we weren't able to do the workshops for roughly two and a half months, we still were constantly in touch. We created new forms. We created little two-hour workshop sessions. We gave everybody a free quarter, and then we were back to business. We weren't locked down. Nope. We just pivoted and went our own our own direction. Yeah. Dan, if someone wants to be on the right side yeah. of this great divide, how do they think I think about it's it? on the right. It's a split. I, I definitely favor the right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If someone wants to be on the... We want to be on the left side. You know. No, definitely not. Remember, left in Latin is sinister and left in French is gauche. You don't want to be on the left side. Those poor people are left-handed, which is why they used to get beaten for it. But if someone wants to take the more productive, adaptive path, what mindset do they need to embrace? What actions do they need to take to actually you know, have this be where they're going? Does that make sense? So you're asking me for a strategic coach 101 here? Yeah. Well, first of all, the individual's capabilities of people become extraordinary. Okay. And the reason is that you've just eliminated the whole cost of their transportation. There's no transportation. Not only that, but I estimate that the average team member of ours during this entire period on a yearly basis probably got 300 hours back probably about 300 hours back where that used to be the time cost of transportation. And there was, in many cases, a financial cost of transportation. It was about $2,000, $3,000. If we look at our 120 team members, I bet worked out to about 300 hours, $3,000. That doesn't seem like a lot from an economic standpoint, but it's enormous from a motivational standpoint of the removal of an energy drain, because transportation was really energy. There's nothing energizing about the transportation that people had to do before. It was energy training. So they got the energy back, okay? And they had time for things. There were fewer distractions. You know, some people didn't handle it well. I agree. Some people did not handle it well. But, you know, at a certain point, what I think we're doing right now is the new normal. And we'll make adjustments, or will be adjustments, but we don't know what they are yet until the lockdowns end. When the lockdowns end and everybody can kind of do what they want to do, then we'll see, is the old model completely gone, or is it half and half? Or I know the new model is not gone. I mean, the new model has established new territory. And my sense is that to the utmost degree that I can take advantage of the new territory. I'm going to do that. You know, so one thing, I will never again travel for marketing or sales purposes. Uh-huh. I will only travel for relationship purposes. And rejuvenation, right? And for fun. Yeah. One of the first things that you saw back in um, 1989, 1988, 89, I think it was 89, I had a concept called the Great Crossover. Yeah. I said from 1975 to 2025, there's going to be a crossover from this old system to this new system. And we're going from big pyramid-shaped 
organizations to network organizations. Well, 2025 is three years from now, and I think we're on the other side of the great crossover, and now we have the great divide. Oh, it is so fun, Dan, because that was one of the very first projects I worked on with you, <laughs> with you and Babs, was that book, actually, which is really kind of fun. We hooked you with that idea. We hooked you. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Well, and I really appreciate it because I do think it's interesting. I mean, there's a whole political conversation we could have, but I do think there has been this growing sense of unease, especially on the part of, well, let me just put it bureaucracies, and that can be government or corporate or what have you. There also are a few entrepreneurial organizations where there's a feeling of a loss of control. And so an opportunity came up to exert control. It was like, they may or may not have been clear on their motivations, but it was like, great, now we can take control in the name of being helpful to the populace. And I think they wanted to take control for a long period of time. That's what I'm thinking. There was nothing that gave them the opportunity, but the threat of a global pandemic, you know, some were predicting there will be millions, hundreds of millions dying and everything like that. You know, they used all the means of communication and the key influence makers to get out a very, very scary attitude. But the real fear is not taking place in the general public. The real fear is taking place behind closed doors in the large control-oriented organizations. I think they're scared stiff that they've lost control forever. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that, you know, I really appreciate what's because that's not most of the audience that's listening, which is great, is that really for each of us is to look at, okay, what our own individual capabilities, how are we being alert, curious, responsive, and resourceful? How are we making full use, especially of communication? How are we being heroes to other people? 100%. And how are we not driving other people crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it also boils down to, yeah, always focused on creating value and being a hero, but then also really focusing in on that network, you know, the collaboration skills, Mm -hmm. which is a very different, well, it's a very different way of operating than the old command and control way of doing things. And once you shift to that, all of a sudden you are in the free zone. Mm -hmm. You are now free from what used to be a very competitive marketplace and you're into something new, which is a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's still at the beginning. (laughs) We're just at the beginning of the Great Divide, really. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just saw something that it struck me as representative of where we're heading. And it has to do with the production of microchips, which were interrupted, the normal trade patterns and that things were interrupted. So one of the things everybody discovered that they didn't know, but their automobile has probably 100 to 120 microchips in it that's lessened the weight of their car over last 20 years by probably 300, 400 pounds. You know, it's funny, they're talking about electrical vehicles. Well, all vehicles are electric now because of the microchip and that that's unending. But there was the big thing that the world was almost running out of microchips, you know. And I was just noticing Intel, which was the granddaddy of all the chip factories started in the 60s and 70s, Intel just announced they're building the largest chip factory in the world in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So when you look at the United States, you think with East Coast, of course, East Coast connected to Europe, West Coast, you know, related to Asia and everything else. I tell you, 
Columbus, Ohio is about as mid-America as you possibly can get. And they're going to employ 3,000. They're going to need the work of probably 10,000 people to build out everything, the infrastructure and everything, and it's going to create massive new businesses. But in the same town, Amazon, Apple, and Google have data centers, big data centers. So the thing that interests me is that people are going now with their business to, you know, where people kind of have great lifestyles and the cost of living is not very high. The schools are good. They have good medical Ohio State, which is about 15 miles away from this new chip factory, has an engineering department with 10,000 students. They got 10,000 students. So the whole thing is, this is all about the economy that's being created. This is a virtual economy that's being created. It isn't Silicon Valley. It's not the West Coast of the United States, it's not East Coast. It's now the whole middle of the country will be filled in, you know, it's going to change the whole way of life in the United States, and you can feel that shift. They looked at 34 different sites, and they chose this one. You know, I'm from Ohio, so I'm a Buckeye. So <laughs> you got to root for the whole team when they – that's a big touchdown. Yeah, but this is the biggest economic investment that Ohio has ever had from the outside in the history of this state. Mm. You know? So anyway, it's an interesting – I just watch for these little things – these little, you know, somebody makes a move here and you say, you know, that's not the old world. That's not a continuation of the old world. That's the evidence of a new world coming along. Well, Dan, that's exciting. And having, you know, from our conversations on the great crossover, I am very much looking forward to this being just the beginning of the conversation of the great divide, of the great yeah. divide because I think there's a lot of territory to explore. There's a lot of capabilities to be yeah. honed in it's on. It's brand new. And I think the big difference which I still can't explain to anybody, but I can say it as though I do know what I'm talking about, is the cloud, <laughs> you know. I said, where is that cloud? How do you put things in the cloud? Don't they just drop through? I mean, and everything like that. But we're into a new world now. And this is fundamentally the end, I think, the beginning of the end of the influence of a great war that happened in the middle of the 20th century. I think this is kind of, we're reaching the end of that now and the, all the structures and processes and everything that got built up. And I was born, I was born two weeks before the invasion of Normandy in 1944. So that was a key event in that war and I was born then. But I've lived through this entire period. I've lived through the entire 75 years, 76 years. I've lived that period. And far more excited about what's happening at 77 than I was excited about what was happening when I was seven. Awesome. Well, Dan, you've always been someone who has been able to, based on the past, well, in your understanding of context, seeing where that was going to extend in the future. So I am looking forward to many more conversations about this. And I do appreciate the historical context that this is mm -hmm. the end of something. And it's not anything to be terribly freaked out about. It's not anything to be scared about, but it is something to pay attention to and to develop your skills for being successful in terms of the great divide. So as always, a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Shannon.